0: For those who know me, or don't know me, or whatever, uh, my name's Randy Steele. Uh, my wife and I work in Paraguay, South America. and We work with Ethnos 360. And people get wondering sometimes, why do we work with Ethnos 360, but we also work with Mission Nueves Tribus de Paraguay, or in Paraguay. Uh, what's the difference with that? Well, the thing is, Ethnos 360 is who we are missionaries with here from the United States. And then, as missionaries with the United States, we work with a mission organization in Paraguay called Mission de Estribus, New Mission in Paraguay. And what happened is, is a number of years ago, um, New Tries used to be based out of the United States, and they began to realize that this is not really effective, that there's a central group in the United States controlling everything around the world, because you've got multiple cultures, languages, you've got other organizations already coming up. So now it is we are part of a, what's called a global partners agreement. In Paraguay, I am a member of New Paraguay, a uh, Mission de Paraguay, and we are part of a a, uh, a group of mission entities from around the world who have all the same standards, all the same doctrine, and everything else. We all sign into this global partners agreement. And so the United States does not, in a sense, control everything like they used to. They are a member of that larger group. And it really works out very, very well. But that's why we are actually with both groups. Um, this thing here, a thriving church for every people, that's our goal. That's what we want is every place that we uh, are working at. We want people to uh, have a thriving church, have a church that's growing, that's mature, that can go on their own and stuff. Uh, in Paraguay, there are 19 different tribal groups. And well, Lori and I had worked here with uh Ibitoso, uh, which is the Chamacoco. We'd also worked with the Yache in this area here. And uh, Lori's parents had worked with the Ayude up here in the Chaco. So there's all these different groups, and as you look at that, you will realize somehow something is not working here. There we go. 19 different groups, and 19 different cultures, and 19 different languages. And that's the thing, some of you are aware of that, some may not be who are listening in right now. But um, everyone is distinct. Every single one has at least to degree, differences in what they believe. Some of the languages are similar. They have There's a, a number of different linguistic families in Paraguay, but even though they the same linguistic family, they can be very different in how the language is. Um, as you look at it, what we do in Paraguay is, as a mission, we're involved in Bible translation, literacy, and foundational Bible teaching. And the idea of foundational Bible teaching, as you're aware, is the idea that you lay a foundation for the Old Testament so you understand the New Testament. Sometimes we make the error of just starting out talking with people about who Jesus is and all these different things. We make assumptions that they understand who Christ is, who God is, um, who who man is, what sin is, what the punishment for er, for sin is. We make those assumptions. But if people are not clear on those truths, do they really understand the gospel? Actually, Paul kind of talks about that, and that's actually what he would call a different gospel. Uh, Some of the cults and different ones have a different view on who Christ is. Well, if their Christ is what they're putting into the gospel message, it's not the gospel. And that's the things we have to understand with that. So the idea of uh, foundational Bible teaching, laying a foundation from the Old Testament to teach key points from the Old Testament is has been really uh, a good way of helping people come to a saving knowledge of who Christ is. Okay, since the work began in Paraguay 75 years ago, there's been 154 missionaries that have come to Paraguay to reach tribal people with the gospel, uh, disciple believers, translate the scriptures, and see churches established. Um Currently, there are 30 missionaries serving in Paraguay, and uh, that's over uh, a lot of years. As you look at that, we are involved. We have been planted churches uh, amongst the uh, the Yisho Oso, the, which is the, uh, or the Yisho, I should say, the Chamacoco, where Lori and I were at, uh, also the Ayure, where Lori's folks were at, the Exet Sur, I have a problem saying that, the Paitamutra, the Maca, the Angate, the ache where we were also at, and then the Manhui. Um, those are groups that now have established churches in Paraguay through the Ministry of uh, Ethnos, of New Tribes Mission, over the years. Uh, looking at that, we are also involved as a mission in supporting churches that are already there amongst the Sanabana, the Nibacle, and the Alba Guarani. So there's churches that were begun by other groups, but they need help. They need translation work. They need to mature in different areas. Heaven Believers is not the end of the story. What does it say... Uh, in the, in the Great Commission, it says teaching them to observe all things. It talks about making disciples, and we have to keep that in mind. And yet, that's what so many times we think, well, they got saved, and so we're done. Uh-uh. That's not it. People have to mature as believers. As you look at that, uh, translation and revision work has uh, gone on and been involved, well, has been involved in that, in the Ayure, the Exet Sur, the Maka, the Angaite, the Ache, the Manhui, Sanapanandi, Bakle, and Chalmakoko, the year, And currently, we're continuing translation work in the Ayodé, the Manhuya Sanapana, and the and stuff. And so, there's a lot to be praying about there. It's so cool, is, is they have God's Word in their language in a way that they understand. Okay, I speak Spanish. I'm fluent in Spanish. Um, I have exposure to other languages. I know them to varying degrees. But English is my heart language. And English is what I understand so much deeper. I can study in Spanish, I can read it, but English is what speaks to me to a whole lot greater degree than, than even uh, reading in Spanish. The need of laborers. You'll hear this over and over again, but it's the truth. There is a huge need for people on the mission field, and we're going to get into that here real quickly. Um, the Lord said to pray to the Lord of the Harvest to send forth laborers in the harvest. One thing I will not do is I am not here to guilt anybody into it. The worst thing that can happen is for a missionary or somebody to come in and guilt people into getting involved in world missions. The bottom line is we're all supposed to be involved in world missions. And one of the things that I appreciate here with Cardwell is that I look around this room, and you guys have been involved in missions in, in so many different ways, whether you're physically there or not. You're there in your prayers, you're there in your finances, you're doing how you live. And you're actually fulfilling the Great Commission right here in this in this community, in this area. That's you're you guys have an example in so many aspects. And I actually shared your example with other churches and people as, as we travel and stuff like that. But we have to have a world mindset. And even though I live in Paraguay, been there for over 35 years, if if all I'm thinking about is Paraguay, then I've got a problem. If I'm not praying for you guys here, and I'm not thinking about people in Asia and Russia and other countries then am I really connecting with what is uh, God's heart in the Great Commission? So it says there, it says, Then he said uh, to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he may send out workers into his harvest. Okay, as you look at that, here on this, this is from the Joshua Project. Okay, the current statistics of the way they have it uh, looked at here, unreached. And you know the figure that there's roughly seventeen thousand, almost seventeen thousand five hundred um uh people groups in the world, they would consider seven thousand four hundred plus of those as unreached. Others are minimally reached, others are superficially reached, partially reached, and significantly reached. Okay. That's just some statistics there. You can look find that online. You look at here the total population of the world is almost eight billion people. Of that, unreached. Is considered to be over three billion, three billion uh, three hundred thousand, like that, or three billion three hundred million. Um, that's a huge amount of people. And if we really believe that people who do not understand who Christ is, have never trusted in Christ, if we really believe that they are lost and go to a Christless eternity, that should affect how we live. It should affect how we give. That should affect how we pray. And and like I said, I think this church has been a a huge example of that. But we can always continue to grow and do better. And for myself as a missionary, I think about that. Sometimes you just get tired. And yet, I don't want to lose that vision either. And stuff. Looking at this, this is what is a people group. For evangelization purposes, a people group is the largest group within which the gospel can spread as a church planning movement without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. I can pass this on to you later and stuff. This is is good information because how do people decide what a people group is? And down here, like it mentions, in most parts of the world, lack of understandability is the main barrier and appropriate appropriate to define a people group. But in other parts of the world, most notably in portions of southern Asia, acceptance is a greater barrier than understandability. In those regions, castes, religious tradition, location, and common histories and legends may be used to identify the primary boundaries of each people group. A language can be secondary to those boundaries. But you've gotta take that into account. When you're, when you're dealing cross-culturally, everybody else doesn't think like people here in the United States. One of the things that drive me bonkers, honestly, is when North American missionaries come to Paraguay and kind of expect the Paraguayans to adapt to them. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. You're not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy. And people who know Wizard of Oz will know what I'm talking about. The old people. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Sorry. Anyway. But the thing is, is with that, the thing is with that is that we have to understand that we have to adapt there. Um, I am thankful that by God's grace, we continue to adapt after all these years to Paraguayan thinking, to Paraguayan life and stuff like that. Okay. God uses broken people like you and me to reach broken people like you and me. Uh, Some of these things you may see from Facebook that I've done these things up, usually at church. I'll do a a devotional for about 10, 15 minutes in Spanish, and I translate it to English, and these are some of these thoughts. But this idea of broken people, okay, any of those who know us, and I'm not going to talk to you ladies right now, so be quiet, is, uh, um, is you know we are not perfect. You know we've got many flaws, and my flaws are very evident. Every time I look in the mirror, I go, yeah, you're awake. It's like, okay, I know those flaws, and I keep understanding more and more of my flaws with time, but by God's grace, I continue to grow. And the thing is, is broken people is who God uses. And stuff. So when somebody said, you know, God could never use me, how <laughs> great you're in a perfect situation and location for to be used in What I want to talk about tonight is something that's dear on my heart, and I'll try to be very wise in how I say some of these things as we're live streaming. But um, what has taken people out of the work? And I mentioned this morning that... Over the last number of years, as I've been a language and culture consultant, there have been 41 people that I've had the privilege of being involved with discipling, in uh, discipling spiritually, discipling in and uh, how to develop relationships. The funny part is, is, people come overseas and they don't know how to have healthy relationships in their own culture. Now they're in a second and a third culture, and so that's a struggle. So discipling in them, those areas, from the things that I'm learning or what I understand. And also in the area of language and culture principles. Because once they get into a tribal location, they're on their own. If I can work with them in the capital city to learn how to apply those principles, then they're much better prepared for the intermediate and the the not constant involvement that myself or my co-consultants have with them as they're learning language. But I mentioned that as, as how many people out of those 41 are still there? And it's actually 11. Now, I keep saying a third, but actually it's not a third. It's like a quarter. I my math was off. That's oh, not like I thought maybe it's new math. what do you call it the modern math or something like that. Uh the thing is, is eleven people. And out of that eleven, I, I need to be careful with this. Okay, what I'm sharing with you tonight is my perspective. And I can be wrong in some of these situations, but from just things that I've seen and learned, conversations, this is what the Lord has laid on my heart. And some people have left Paraguay with very good reasons. They, uh, the Lord was definitely lead them in a different direction. Some have had a huge struggle with learning language, and so it was just a, a wiser thing for them to find another ministry. Uh, others have left because they came to Paraguay with baggage, things that they never dealt with before they left home, things with parents, things with siblings, things with their past, and they just kind of ignored it or it's not really a big deal, and then they get into a secondary culture, and just things come to the surface. And what we've tried to say is, I try to explain to people is the things that you're struggling here in the capital, in Spanish and uh, in Paraguayan culture study, once you get to a travel location that's even more remote, it's going to be two, three times as hard. You're already struggling with some of those things. And if sometimes folks have not been able to quite deal with those adequately, and so they've needed to actually leave Paraguay to deal with things that probably should have been dealt with before they came. It, it breaks my heart when they leave like that because I love these people. These 41 people, and I'll choke up saying this, is I'm, I'm talking about this. These are people I love. These are people that I have tried to pour my life into. These are my coworkers. And I hate seeing the struggles. Some have left because flat out sin. There's just areas in their life they just didn't deal with. Came to a, a point where they were known and I tried to deal with some of them, feel leadership deal and things, and got to a point where we said, you know what, these are areas in your life that you need to go back and be under the guidance of your home church because it's beyond what we can do right now and stuff. Then others have left because of some of these areas that I'm going to talk about. And it involves people on teams. It involves people who had major conflict with coworkers. And the thing is, is, as I'm talking about this tonight, I want you to understand all these like eight different things that I'm going to touch on are not just things that the missionaries struggled with. Somebody said one time they asked a missionary, "He said, how do we pray for you?" <laughs> and a very wise missionary said, "Just like you pray for each other, just like you pray for yourself. Trust me, we're just like you." The thing that drives me bonkers is you go into some place and they go, "Oh, look, kids, here's a real live missionary." It's like, ooh, it's like, you know what? We're just flesh and blood, just like you are. There's no nothing special about us. Uh, there is, I am not more valuable in God's sight than any single person in this room that the Lord is guiding through your, your jobs, your ministries, whatever you're involved in here. The thing is, is are we willing to submit ourselves to God to do what He wants us to do? I mean, there are people, honestly, I remember this years ago, that sometimes there are people I've seen on a mission field and I'm thinking, why did they come? I'm not so sure it was God that led them here. I've seen people come to the mission field because of guilt. The heathen are dying and going to hell. So this is guilt thing. They don't really believe God wants them there, but they, they're supposed to be there because if they're going to fulfill what God says in his word, they got to do this. And so it's a guilt thing that that's what's the reason they're there. Some things, and I've talked about this before, talk about, you know, it's because I love the people. Okay, you don't even know them, for one. But I love the people. Well, you know what? I think about when, I think it was my, my mother-in-law was talking about one time, one of the Indian guys that he blew his nose, and he threw it, and it kind of wrapped around her leg. Well, the thing is, is if you love the people, what happens? Your love just went right out the window. (laughs) So if you're there for because you love the people, why are you still there? Others, it's because, well, my mom and dad were missionaries. So that's why I need to be a missionary. Okay, don't ever do that. Okay, as an adult, as everybody in this room is an adult, you are responsible for God for what he directs you to do with your life in a all. So those are just different things. But as I look at this and and, and think about it, be careful how you disciple. I've seen in multiple situations where a person has attitudes, has opinions that are very strong, and they disciple other people in those attitudes and all. What's the Bible say about our root of bitterness? (laughs) Okay, give me feedback here, people. Everybody on the, on the mic can't hear it, but I'll repeat it. What's, what's the Bible say about a root of bitterness? Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and then what happened? Many be defiled. I have seen that over and over and over again. Roots of bitterness and justifiable bitterness. But I'm right. I'm just I'm just sharing the truth. Like the old saying about now, instead of speaking truth in love, some people just love to speak the truth. <laughs> there is a problem with that. And yet, this happens so many times. And what's the site the discipling is like, you'll see somebody that's got an attitude about something, and all of a sudden, you sign almost word for word the same attitude coming out of other people, and you're going, mm, something's going on here. Paraguayans that do this, they go, it's like, okay, look at it closely. Okay, keep your eye on that. And yet, that happens. And I'm sure, honestly, I'm sure I've been at fault for that too. And I pray that God will show me when I do that, because that's not the way to do it. If I am discipling in proper things, yes, but if I've got a root of bitterness or an attitude that I'm spreading, no, that's not good. And uh, So anyway, I, I think about that. You look at this, unbelievers don't read the Bible, they read us. And I think about that for myself. Um, it was interesting, you guys know that I just had surgery. I was in the hospital for four days, when I was supposed to be kind of outpatient and stuff like that. It was very interesting being in the hospital, and uh, interacting with the nurses, the cleaning staff, and different ones, and just looking for opportunities to share with them about Christ and to share with them about what was going on. It was interesting because the nurses, when they came in to do things, they'd stay there and talk. The, the, the cleaning staff would stay and talk. I was talking about different things. I was talking about some different things with my father-in-law passing away recently and kind of working and looking for opportunities to do whatever I could to get to the point of sharing more and more about Christ, but at least show Christ through my life. And I I was talking about grief and stuff like that, and all of a sudden this this one gal, she just about started crying. And I said, what's going on? I said, if you don't mind telling me what's happening. She says, I found out a week ago that I'm getting divorced. And it was just crushing for her. So I I used the opportunity to just share some with her. There's two things. I'll interject here. There's two things in every interaction that I have with people that I want people to see. The first thing is, is I want them to see Christ through Christ. Whatever I say, even if I can't say anything, did they see the character of Christ in me? And to whatever degree I can talk to them, I want to get to the point of them getting to know more about Christ, getting to know the gospel. And that's my goal, honestly, with every single person that I meet. Whether it's the cashier at the grocery store, whether it's the guy that's I, I meet on the street, whether whatever it is, that is always in the forefront of my mind. And the second thing is, is I want them to be more encouraged when we separate than they were when I get together with them. And I've seen that. We've seen that like you're, you're in Walmart. and You've got a cashier who's having a rough day. you just kind of encouraging. You thank them, and you talk with them, and you just dialogue with them. And it's like their day is better when you leave and stuff. There's a saying that a friend of ours, Rob Ketchum, had. It's like, all of our, was it, all of our friends uh, make us happy. Some when they come and some when they go. It's like, well, the thing is, I don't want to be the one that they're happier when I go. It's like, okay, <laughs> some of you could probably relate to that, but anyway. <laughs> Okay, anyway, here. People on live stream who don't know me well are going, "Who is this guy?" <laughs> okay, <laughs> the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrary heart of God. You will not despise. That's what God wants. Is this a goal for our lives? Do we honestly have an attitude of having a broken spirit and a broken, contrary heart before God? Seeing being broken, seeing our lack of really value in the sense of who we are, but yet at the same point realizing how much value we have. Okay, the whole thing with self-esteem, it's like, you know, people struggle with that. If it, the Bible does talk about the fact that in me is no good thing. I really have no value in and of myself. That's the one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is I have so much value that God gave the most precious thing he had to die on a cross to pay for my sins. I can't have more value than that. But when my focus is on me, I'm in deep doo-doo. I'm in trouble. But when I focus on Christ and who He is and what He did, that's a whole difference. And the whole thing is, is sometimes it's it's more self, it's more Christ esteem than self esteem. Our problem too many times is we're too self focused, and I, that is a major issue today. Okay, the preaching that the world needs most is the sermon in the shoes that are walking with Jesus Christ. That was Moody said that, and that is oh so true. Okay, look at that. What takes people out of the work? First one, not giving people the grace to grow or not realizing that people have grown. A number of years ago, I saw somebody that I hadn't seen in many years when I was in the Air Force, and unfortunately, they still treated me, and they brought up some things. It's like they had frozen me in time that I was still the same person that I had been, like, many years before. I've often thought about that. My mother father-in-law, if they were, had gone back to Paraguay, they would go back, in their minds, Paraguay is like it was when they left, many years ago it would be a real shock for them to see it now for you Bella Rota, going back there it would be a real shock but the thing is is we do that with people we still think they're just the way they were by god's grace i pray that i am a different person today than i was 10 years ago five years ago last year yesterday i hope i'm growing and changing and we do a disservice when we don't um, give people the grace to grow and we're trying to be the Holy Spirit in our lives. We try and force the growth and stuff like that. Instead of giving people, let God work. I've told people different times when talking about the Bible and stuff like that, and they'll get upset at me with what I'm sharing. And i am trying to share it very graciously and gently and wisely. And they get upset, and I'll tell you, you know, if you have a problem with what I'm saying, take it up with the author. I'm just the messenger. And the thing is, is do we are we understanding that? Letting people grow. Perfect example was Luke. Uh, and, and, uh, it says uh, Luke is with me, it says uh, John Mark, excuse me, and if you remember the whole story of that where Paul didn't have a lot of confidence in John Mark because of some things that had happened, but what happened later on? He said, you know what? He's profitable for the ministry. Bring him along. Paul did not freeze him in time. He realized, you know what? He's matured. He's grown. Do we deal with other people that way? That's one of the problems that I've seen that's cause division and problems with people in churches and, or in, and, and overseas that knocks people out of the work. Don't freeze people in time. We tend to remember people as they once were and tend to forget that they all grow and we all change. Okay, could you imagine, everybody in this room, can you imagine if somebody considered you the way you were 15 years ago? Now, some of you may be like that. It's like to be 15 years younger, but the whole thing is, it's maturity-wise and stuff like that. <laughs> no, 15 years ago for you, we only go back. there. <laughs> And nobody can see who I'm pointing at. Okay. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it's 20 years ago. I thought we won't talk about diapers and all that other stuff. Okay. A lack of humility and repentance. Okay? God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This whole thing of uh, repentance and humility. I know a situation where some, some teammates are trying to work through something and one was very Repentant and just saying, you know, if we have done something wrong, we want to know, Um and we're sorry. We didn't. We don't mean to hurt anybody. We don't mean to be to do things that are wrong or whatever. And the other was like, well, I didn't do anything wrong. Okay, we need to ask ourselves: Have we done something wrong or not? The I use the example. It's like what are we, we're we're basic. We're, we're really easy at pushing the blame to somebody else. If I take this thing here and I I push it off onto the floor, what would I say? It fell. Like it decided, okay, I'm going to just jump off here and I'm going to fall on the floor. Well, no, you pushed it off. I pushed it off. That's why it fell. I knocked it off. But we kind of, uh, avoid, I almost said evitar, Spanish. We avoid the, uh, the consequences or the responsibility for things. And, and yet, and, and I've talked with kids about this. I've ever talked with kids and it's like they'll say, my dad has never apologized. My mom has never said they were wrong. That should never be that way. And for all of us, when when something happens, when somebody approaches, and I don't care if they're doing it in a way that's rough, in a way that's crass, whatever, we think that everybody has to approach us in a nice, sweet, lovable, biblical way, and then we can listen to them. Baloney. Okay? The thing is, I don't care if somebody's swearing at you. You need to consider what they're saying, because there may be even a nugget of truth in there. And the thing is, is when somebody says, you know, he offended me. he He made me mad. No, he didn't. You chose to get offended. You chose to get mad. And if you don't believe me, read through the Gospels. Look at Christ's example and stuff. You look at you look in the the Book of Acts and different things like that. We think we're justified many times in our actions, but this idea of humility and repentance and all. Okay, the bravest person is not the one who holds on to his pride, but the one who knows how to forgive and ask for forgiveness. That's a brave person. Love difficult people, you're one of them. (laughs) Some of us are more difficult than others. But but I won't go there, I won't point fingers, I won't say who. Oh, I want to, but I won't. Build bridges. I get a situation with somebody that's close to me that um, some things happened and I don't even quite know what happened, but the relationship broke down and they got upset at me, said they would never talk to me again as long as I live. And then Lori tried to help, and now they're mad at her. They don't want to talk to her anymore either. And I still don't know what I did. <laughs> it's like, what's going on? But I care a lot about that person, so kept sending them birthday uh, cards, anniversary cards, Christmas cards, stuff like that, telling them how much I love them, how much I appreciate them, the impact they've had on my life. Well, lo and behold, here a little while ago, they got a hold of me and said, did you have your surgery yet? And I'm going, know about my surgery well i've been sending our our prayer updates to them, so they're reading them surprise surprise (laughs) i I didn't expect that and so we communicated a little bit and then some things had gone on we had wanted to see them when we came back and and the individual um they uh, i i made some mistakes and we wanted to go see them too quickly and their health wasn't good and anyway long story short it was interesting um they reacted pretty strongly And I tried to react very graciously to their reaction towards me. But here, a little bit after they, they wrote me about asking about my surgery, they wrote me and they said, would you please forgive me? What would have happened, people, if I had reacted like everybody told me I had the right to? They have unjustly treated you. You have the right to react. You have the right to just, and Christians even, it's like, you know, they can't treat you like that. Who said? It's like I've said before, you know, the Bible says we're dead in Christ. Okay, a corpse in a coffin never sits up and I says, I have the rights. Okay, we are dead in Christ. My rights. and I, It's funny because the, the whole pandemic business, there was somebody in Perryway and they were talking about their rights and stuff like that. Okay, you got to understand something. What you're talking about is rights in the United States. We're not in the United States. We're in Paraguay. <laughs> whole different culture, laws, everything else. It's like well, are you, gonna, you can't say, "Well, I've got the right." They don't have the government doesn't have the right to tell me this. Well, yes, they do. It's like <laughs> surprise. But anyway, this whole idea of building bridges—it's hard when you reach out with your hand and it's slapped, and you reach out and it's slapped, and you reach out and it's slapped. And I don't know how long we got to go, but here we'll go for a little bit. Okay, I so, saw William just looked. If anybody does that, William looked at his watch. Okay, so, <laughs> so, so, but you stick out your hand, you stick out your hand, and it gets slapped. You stick out your hand, it's slapped. And that happens seven times. It's like, that's it, I'm done. Seems like, I remember a story, something in the Bible about seven times. What was that? Jesus said 70 times seven? Yeah, and the thing is, is like that. It's hard when people treat you unjustly. It's hard when people treat you Roughly. But keep trying to build bridges. Because the Christ that people need to see is through you. Another thing here. Not seen through other people's eyes. This is huge. And this causes, I would say it's probably causes divisions and problems here in this church. It's caused problems in some of our relationships. It's caused problems with missionaries. It's caused problems where where people are in tribal situations, and I keep trying to explain to people when I'm I'm trying to disciple and teach them about language learning principles, is one of the first things you have to do is you have to see things through a Paraguayan mindset. Like I said, you're not in Kansas anymore. You have to see things through their eyes. You have to understand how they think. Okay, husband and wives, it was it talk about with husbands? It says, I believe in Peter, it talks about, so your prayers are not hindered. What does it say we should do? you got to know your wife. I'm still on that thing. I'm, I'm not out of that class yet. And so I'm still trying to understand Lori. It's like, okay, anybody understand? Well, I, I don't care. I'm going to get myself in trouble. I'll stop there. <laughs> um, the, the thing is, it's is like, you know, the whole thing of understanding through somebody else's eyes. You can only really communicate when you see things through another person's eyes. When you're talking with somebody, for the Jehovah's Witness, somebody that is a Mormon, somebody's from another religion or whatever, unless you understand how they're thinking, you're not really going to communicate. It's going to be two people talking to each other. When you're trying to deal with issues and problems and help and encourage somebody, you have to see it through their eyes. Sometimes something that would never be a struggle for you is a huge struggle for them. See it through their eyes. But not seeing things through their eyes has been a huge difficulty because everybody comes at it one directionally. Uh, I talk about it. I talk to my co-pastors, the difference between talking at people and talking with people. And in a church in Arizona a number of years back, I was teaching and I, I uh, asked the, the, the teens and the hovenists, that were there that's actually teens in Spanish. Anyway, the, I was talking to them and I in uh, the whole crowd and I asked the, the teens, I says, "How do you feel when an adult, your parents or some other adult starts talking at you?" And like everybody became statues. No teen in the room would move because if they did, I'd see it. So then I said, okay, how do you feel when somebody, listens to you and talks with you instead of at you. And all over the auditorium, I saw teens' heads doing this. I told the parents, and I told the rest of the adults, I said, look at that. Look what they're trying to tell you. Don't talk at them, talk with them. Listen to them and stop. Another one, unteachability. He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise, who he ignores, discipline, despises himself, but whoever heeds correction gains understanding. Proverbs 15. Unteachability. I really believe unteachability is the biggest hindrance to world evangelization. I've said that many times. And it's not unteachability in the minds and hearts of unbelievers. It's in the hearts of believers. We've always done it this way. Well, that's the way I believe. Well, that's, that's, uh, even, uh, I, I, how do I say this? Doctrinally, we need to make sure that our doctrine is biblical and not cultural. It's not just the way we were taught. It's not just the way our church is. It's not just all these things that it's actually biblical. And actually our understanding of a biblical truth is based on what it's actually saying, not what we came to believe it said. I had a passage here a while ago that I had taught how many times? And then as I got to realizing that I was and I was teaching it according to how it was translated, not actually what the passage meant. And I'm like, oh, i got to go back and reteach some of that stuff. But we've got to be open to that. I'm not saying be wishy-washy on doctrine, but we've got to make sure our doctrine is biblical and the way we teach is biblical. The greatest lesson I've learned in life is that I still have a lot to learn. I think a guy that said that was in his 80s or something like when he said that. And I think about that, I have so much to still learn. But the, the cool thing is, is everybody in this room is my teacher. And I can learn from you <laughs> if I Listen. Talking to little kids, I talked to little kids with that. And, and to explain to them, I was telling somebody earlier today that, you know, I'm I talking to a, a six-, seven-, eight-year-old in the church. And we're talking, and he says he's trusted in Christ. I says, that's great. Did you know that God brought you here for me? And they're like, huh? What are you talking about? It's like, no, adults say that. I said, no. And I usually get down on their level. I'm six, three, so I need to be down at their level. And, and talking to them, I says, you know, you're here for me. You're part of the body of Christ. I need you. There's no parts of the body of Christ that don't matter. The question is, is are we willing to listen? A passive approach to spiritual growth. Ooh. This is I, I, I've talked about this with uh language learning. People are very passive in language learning. Well, I'm just gonna go there, I'm gonna hang out with people, I'm just gonna learn language, and yeah, you'll learn some language. But you're not gonna learn it the way you need to. If you want to learn a language, you've got to pursue it. Uh how many of you have ever taken college courses? Okay. Could you just go to class and go, well, whatever? I just got to teach me. Just, does that work? Nah. Didn't work in high school, didn't work anyway. If you tried that in high school, you really didn't usually well do too well. Here's something to think about. Are you that or are you that? Passive or active? The thing is, is how many people come to church on Sunday? William's gonna teach. It's like, oh William, great! I'm so glad you spent all this time preparing. <laughs> feed me, feed me. <laughs> and yet that's what happens. And we take that approach spiritually. I'd ask people, I'd say, okay, okay, here's a question for you. Name, or, or think about it in your mind. Think of one, two, or three things that right now God is trying to grow you up in. That he's trying to teach you in. He's trying to make you more like Christ in. Okay? For me, one of those things is worry. Okay, as I'm getting older, as... Uh, is just, there's been more turmoil in our lives and different things like that. What does the future hold? We've talked about it. In the next couple of years, we're transitioning out of Paraguay back to the United States and I don't have a place to live. I don't have a lot of paperwork to show, uh, what I can do. I don't have diplomas in some of those areas. I've got a lot of experience in different things and then, trust me, it, it's there. I just don't have the paperwork to show it. Some of those different things. Worry is something that I have to take before the Lord. Another thing is just my mind. My thoughts—they get pulled in multiple directions, and I start thinking about this and think about that. And it's like, Lord, help me just not to be overwhelmed with some of this stuff. And the other thing is just my time with the Lord. It's like it's so easy to—well, get my devotions today? Go on, okay? Yeah, I've got to make sure I—I I, I spent my time in the Word. Make sure I spent time listening to what He says. All right, check that off my list. And through the day, it's like. What did I hear? What was I reading? <laughs> it's like, that's why I honestly will go back through and I'm to some audio books, I'm to the Bible on audio, I don't go back through and listen to the same chapter over and over and over again for, for days. <laughs> but those are the three areas that God is trying to grow me up in right now. So my question for you is, is what's he trying to grow you up in? If you're not aware of what he's trying to grow, grow you up in, you're on the left. If you are aware of it, then you're on the right. And here's some things to think about. For this very reason, make every effort... To add your faith, goodness, and it goes on from there. The whole you'd look in scripture, there are specific places where it talks about putting effort into growing. Another place here. But you, man of God, flee all this and pursue righteousness. That takes some, some mental action. It's not passive. And unfortunately, so many of us as Christians, we take a passive approach. And we even take a passive approach as to when we're reading books or we're hearing teaching. We just accept it hook, line, and sinker instead of constantly comparing Scripture with Scripture and all. And there are some situations. I was in a church here. I had connected with a church here a while ago, and I had a speaker come in, and he shared a lot of truth. But you know what? The more I listened to him, I'm going, no, no, no. It's like it was opinion. It wasn't truth. But he threw out so much. He bombarded people. That they couldn't sort it out, so they just accepted the whole thing. And that's what happens, that's what cults do. We should not be using that same method. Another one. Seeing everything as either black or white, or only from our own perspective. This is where, okay, people may disagree with me on this, hoping I don't get excommunicated or disciplined because of this. Okay. What? Okay. Gotta go, okay, gotta go around here. Okay, I'm gonna start on this side of the room. What color is it? Okay, what color? Okay. And actually, the, the hard part with this is it's much better when it's shown clearer. Okay, turn the lights off for just a second. See if it helps at all. Okay, does that help at all? Okay, does that help at all? Okay. At all? Okay. okay, brown and white. Okay, over here. Okay, Bill? Okay. Rhoda? Oh, give me a break. Don't be hard. Okay, Lori? Okay, you can turn the light back on. Okay, the thing is, is people will say blue and gold. They'll see black and blue and all this different things. There's all these different, but the funny part is, is it's the same dress. <laughs> Why are we seeing it so differently? What's wrong with you people? Don't you know what this looks like? So, see, I can have an opinion as to what this looks like, and I can go, "You guys are all wrong. You're all in sin because you don't see the dress the way I see it." Well, oh, and there's some variants on it. It doesn't. I'm not telling you what I see. <laughs> I see black and blue, but some people see gold and different things as you look at this. But this, this is it. Just set off the internet. Okay. Well, you can't see it on this, but if you can on others. It's like, like if you look, if you look down here on my computer, you can see the gold down here. But the thing is, is that just people are like it is how our mind works. There's a whole scientific reason as to how it is. But it's all the same dress, people. Okay. This is what happens so many times, okay? We're looking at this, I got a cup, okay? And this is my cup, and I'm looking at that side of it. You are looking at that side of it. So we're describing the cup, and I say, it has a fish. And you go, no, it has a fisherman. And he's in a little screen or whatever, and he, are you blind? It's a fish. Mm-hmm. No, Randy, there's a fisherman. They go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Who's right? Both All right. Here's an interesting one. Yeah, who's that? Who was right? Okay. But people, churches have been divided over stupid stuff like this. The color of the hymnals. Well, we've got to have a red hymnal because it shows the blood of Christ. No, we need a purple hymnal because of royalty. That's a really good thing to argue over. And churches are split over stupid stuff like that. But if you look at this, here's something I want you to chew on for a minute. A, there's a difference of a clear command versus a principle that is commanded in Scripture and a personal preference. Okay. As you look over here, there are clear commands in Scripture. Don't lie. Don't steal. There's things that are very clear commands that are for universal for everybody. Okay. There are other things that are a principle that is commanded. Showing respect, showing love. Like here it talks about showing love to one another and stuff like that. Okay. Somebody describe me how do you show love worldwide? Not just here in Cardwell, Montana. How do you show love in Paraguay, South America? How do you show love in Papua New Guinea? How How do you show respect? Those kind of things, it's a biblical principle that actually looks a little bit different depending on the cultural thing without violating the principle. The problem comes in is over here, is when God has impressed upon my heart how to apply a biblical principle. You know what? I think that every person. Here's here's an example. Uh well, okay, I'll go with these examples first. And Lori's always nervous when I do this in some churches because she's like, okay, maybe this is how they are. Everyone should stand when the Bible is read out in church. Okay. That is what Christians do. And if you don't do that, that's bad. And there are verses in the Bible that talk about what people stood and also. It was never commanded. And just because it was an example of somebody doing something doesn't mean we're all supposed to do it. Now, if you, before the Lord, he lays upon your heart to do that, great, but do not take what God has impressed upon your heart and now say this is proper biblical Christian behavior. And yet that's what happens. We shouldn't use guitars or other instruments of worship in church because they're worldly. Okay? I look at it, okay, I played percussion for six years. <laughs> I played in orchestra. There are different things. I love percussion. But the thing is, is I know of people who get upset about that. And I try and be very gentle with it. But the thing is, is for me, with percussion, I always, in my thinking, the percussion supported the melody, which supported the words. So many times we're so worried about the music, we're never even listen to the words. <laughs> it's like, listen to the words, people. Somebody was... I was in a discussion with some people one time, and it was some ladies, and I have a tendency to stick my feet in, which some of you know that, when there's something going on. And, uh, and so they were going on and on about the fact of, you know, I just don't like this new worship music. It's just repetition over and over and over again. And the Bible does say, you know, it talks about being repetitions and blah, blah, blah. blah and I'm like, Brr. so I stuck my foot in. And it says, hmm, well, that's interesting. Was the same revelation? There's something that the angels are doing over and over again for all eternity. What's that? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty for all eternity. The same thing over and over. That's kind of a repetition. So where's the problem? Maybe the problem wasn't the repetition. The problem was the vein. It goes back to the motive. It goes back to why are we repeating stuff? But sometimes we minor minor on the we major on the minors instead of the way around. And you remember, my personal application of biblical principle is not the same as a clear biblical command. And when you're struggling over something, that somebody's lifestyle or the way they're doing things is not the way you think it should be, a couple things to keep in mind. One, is that because it doesn't meet your biblical application? Two, is it maybe an area that they just need some grace to grow in? and You need to give them that grace. Let God work. It's his work in their lives. You put it out on the table, you share where you're at, you share your perspective, but it's not your responsibility to make them conform to it. Those are things we have to keep in mind. And yet, too many times we're trying to conform, we're trying to be the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we are just one Holy Spirit, and we're not it. Another thing here, not heeding what you've heard. This is kind of, towards the end here, I'm going to finish here with this. This is something that um, I'm involved with somebody right now, and this was, I've talked with them extensively over some different issues in their life, and they're involved in ministry. And the interesting thing was, is the person shared with me very clearly how they had some very real needs in their life. As we were talking about this stuff, um, I had met with them here quite a while ago and continued to contact, and I shared these these basic principles with them. Matthew thirteen three to eight talks about the parable of the sower it talks about how the seed went out on the path, and it says that those, that, when Christ explained it, it, says that was the person who didn't understand, the person hears the truth, the person doesn't fully understand the truth that was shared with them, and Satan works to help them, or to make them forget it. And that's the whole thing, is And is I think about that, we're sharing the gospel, that's one of the key things, is we share the gospel message, do people understand the gospel message? Just because they've heard it, doesn't mean they understood it. We need to take care to make sure they really understand those different elements I talked about before. But with that also comes up, talks about the rocky soil. And it says it wasn't taken to heart. The idea that it wasn't taken to heart, there was no conviction. The person hears the truth, the person gladly receives it, the person doesn't internalize or apply or meditate on the truth. No real growth or root. So when other people oppose that truth or they face trouble or persecution, the person rejects the truth and there's no life change. And then he goes on from there, and he talks about the thorny ground. And I've mentioned that. I believe that that's when it's not taken to heart other priorities. It talks about the person hears the truth. The person becomes distracted by the worries and cares of life or desires for health or wealth. Uh, other things take priority over the truth so that the truth is never really considered, put into practice, or applied, resulting in no change in a person's life. There's a, there's a song that Lori used to sing. It says, I'm tired of being stirred but not being changed. How many times do we have a conference speaker come in that gets people really fired up in some area of their life? But nothing changes. We just go on the same way. The thing is, is, and this is the whole thing is, is we don't respond to the truth. We're either the rocky or the thorny soil. Persecution, there's no conviction, or other desires just take priority. And with this individual, it was interesting. as I was communicating with him, and I I told him, I says, I am really concerned. You're involved in ministry. You're involved in different areas. Have you considered the things that you shared with me? Are you really getting before the Lord in those areas? His response back to me was to tell me all the things. I'm going to this Bible conference and I'm teaching. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. And I'm thinking, whoops, that sounds like right here. We got together with him here a little while ago, and we talked very frankly about this. It says I was really concerned because where are you at? And he says, and I'm sharing this because I love you, because I am concerned. These are the things, like I said, that have knocked people out. The good soil is people take it to heart and change. All these different areas. Okay, well, if we reach the uh, if we were to reach the world with the gospel, we must change and we must grow, but grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, question: Am I different today than I was yesterday? God made me this way. That's an excuse. I hate it when people say, is "This is the way I am." The Bible doesn't say be who you are. Where does it say that? It says be who you are in Christ. It never says be who you are. So we say, that's just on God. Maybe. Oh, yes, blame God. Sounds like something out of Genesis where some blaming going back and forth there. The thing is, is no. God never said, stay who you are. We should be changing. We should be growing. God's word doesn't say be who you are. Instead, it says change. Okay. Be conformed to the image of Christ. Desire input and correction. How many of you really want somebody to come up to you and give you input? How many of you are, are willing to be vulnerable enough that you can ask people the hard questions. If you're not, I would encourage you to do it. To be open to that, to be open to be corrected. What's the thing that happens when somebody does correct us? Our first response is, uh-uh, it wasn't. I did not. That should not be our response. Our first response should be, oh, I'm sorry, and consider maybe there's some truth to it. Those should be the patterns that people see in our life. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me in the way of anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's what God wants. And the thing is, is, it's God showing us those areas in our life. You can live your whole life around Jesus, familiar with Jesus, filled with good ideas about Jesus, and still not really believe in Jesus. I am very concerned that there are many people in church today that fit that description. They have never come to a saving knowledge of Christ. They know all about him, but that's not where their trust is. And I don't know who. It's not my responsibility to separate the sheep from the goats. But my concern is is that that's what's going on. Now, backing up just real quick to this. I, I realized I didn't put the slide in. Okay, with these, these areas, like I said, are things that I have seen that I honestly believe, from my perspective, have knocked people out of the work. That's why people have come home. That's why they've gone on to other areas of ministry. It's very easy to, because you're not dealing with things, to find God calling you someplace else. It's very easy to do. And I'm not saying sometimes people have been legitimately led to other ministries. Sometimes when things have not been dealt with in their past or they're not dealing well with the relationship that they've got, they're just jumping ship. It's like, is it really God guiding or who's guiding and stuff like that? But these areas are all things that affect every single one of us. And you could actually take every single one of these and do a whole sermon series on them because there's an awful lot there. Anyway, uh, I believe this is it. Okay, you're the light of the world. And actually, you see the candle over here. That's the whole thing of it. What kind of light are we? Where are we really at? Are we showing Christ through our lives in the way it should be? Or is there still too much of Randy? There's still too much of you. That's what the world needs, is they need to see Christ in us. Anyway, that's my sermon for the night. So...